Thank you, brother. Well, good morning. Uh, if you would open uh, your Bibles, if you want to follow along, uh, page 977 in the Pew Bibles. Let me read out of the English Standard Version this morning. And uh, what a glorious day that the Lord has given You want to follow along? I have a cheat sheet. I wrote it here. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. Font's just a little bit better than there. So we'll read. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord, we come to thee with thankful hearts this morning. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the word that we can look into. Lord, the word that you've given to us. Now, we just pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would do a work in this place. Lord, that we would open our hearts, our eyes unto you. We pray for Pastor Andrew as he brings a message. Lord, uh, bless us throughout this day. Bless each and every one that are here. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you haven't been with us uh, for a few weeks, or if you're a guest with us this morning, or if you just plain have forgotten, uh, we've been going through our ministry action plan, our proposed ministry action plan, sharing highlights about that, the plan for 2022 through 2024. So far, we have shared our vision, and the vision is, in, in essence, to be multiplying disciples. In fact, do we, do we have that picture? I can't remember if, if we have that picture or not. The picture of the bridge, is that available? Nice. Uh, so that's kind of a visual representation of our map. Uh, the vision is to multiply disciples. You can see that on the far end. And then reality is where, where are we, right? If we're going to get there, we need to know where we are. And then we need to have a plan to get there. So that's what the ministry action plan is. It's setting the vision and saying this, this is, Lord willing, uh, the path uh, that we will take uh, to accomplish uh, this vision. And I, I love that vision, multiplying disciples. 
Uh, it's not us trying to come up with our own vision, our own plan, and saying, hey, Lord, bless this. It's, it's, it's reading the scriptures and saying, okay, where's the movement of God? What is God up to? What's God doing? And how can we be a part of that? And what God is up to, what God is doing, is multiplying disciples. And I'll elaborate more on that uh, next week uh, under multiplication. But we've just, just been each week kind of making our way through this. So we talked about the vision. We talked about reality. Uh, we talked about discipleship, right? If we're going to multiply disciples... Then we need to define what disciples are, right? We need to kind of know what we're aiming for there. So we talked about 3D discipleship. We need to define, develop, and deploy disciples. From there, we talked about organization, uh, which is basically the idea, if you remember with me, that structure facilitates the mission. And are we organized the best way that we can be uh, to be as effective as we can? Because that's what we want, right? As a church body, we want to be as effective as we can. We want to burn as bright as we can, as hot as we can, uh, for him, and that requires the humility uh, to kind of examine ourselves and see where we're at and know maybe ways we need to tweak or change so that we might excel still more. I love that as you read through First Thessalonians, Paul says that multiple times. You're doing well here, but excel still more. And that's, that's the idea there under organization. Uh, This morning, uh, we'll be talking about equipping or caring, and then next week, uh, Lord willing, uh, we will talk about multiplication. I I do think that this morning's message and next week's message are probably the two most important ones when it comes to uh, this ministry action plan, equipping and multiplication. Multiplication because healthy things grow. Um, We see that as as we look through the scriptures. <clears throat> so this morning, I already mentioned to you, I just want to make mention of it once once more. Uh, there, there is the map, the frequently asked questions, because we know that we're throwing a lot at you, and we've been trying to do it the way we've been doing it, just, just a little bit each week, so that you don't feel overwhelmed. We're trying to give you digestible chunks of information uh, so that you can kind of think on it, dwell on it, ask questions about it, and then next week, it hit again with more to think about. Uh, but we know there's a lot to it, uh, we, we designed it this way, again, to make it so that it's digestible. We didn't want to have a big food fight and just throw it all out there in one, in one message. That'd be a long message, by the way. <clears throat> if you guys were up for it, maybe we could do it that way, a marathon. Uh, but what, what the frequently asked questions is, is just qu- great questions we've been getting. Uh, the, and so we hope that this is a tool that's helpful for you as you think about it and as you pray about it. Next, next week is our plan uh, to have the entire plan available to you uh, in, a, in a little booklet form uh, that will also have the timeline, like when, when we're thinking uh, about doing uh, various different initiatives that we've talked about. Uh, so this morning we're talking about equipping, right? We're talking about caring, about loving one another and being the strongest and healthiest church we can be. And admittedly, uh, when Ken Floyd uh, did his uh, internal audit and his, his interviews and his Know Your Community survey, the, the many, many hours that he, he put into helping us uh, being a consultant here, uh, we, we scored poorly in this area. We scored poorly in the area of ministry, in the area of equipping, in the area of, of caring in this, in this fashion. Uh, from, from some of his studies, we learned, we saw uh, that many in our church do not know their spiritual gifting. And if you don't know it, you're probably not using it. Uh, so that's an issue that needs to be addressed. 
Also, there are a great deal in our, the ministry of our church, or I, sorry, a great deal of the ministry of our church is being done by a small number of people. Many churches struggle with that. That's not an excuse, though. We need to flip the script there, that we have a vast majority of people doing a vast majority of ministry, and only a few should be on the sidelines for maybe certain seasons of life. We all need times where we need to recharge, right? Um, but that, that needs to be flipped on its head, uh, where we have many, many, many who know their gifts and are using their gifts uh, for the well-being of one another and the glory of his church. So thus, it's, it's not surprising that as Ken did his uh, consultation, he discovered that many feel very tired and exhausted because they are doing a great deal of ministry in the church. Uh, also, many in the church uh, feel that the leadership of the church does not do a, a great job at equipping. Uh, so these are things we need to work on. These are areas we have the opportunity. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that when things like this arise, these are opportunities, right? When challenges, when difficulties, when, when we kind of get a real assessment of where it's at, that's an opportunity. We don't get discouraged about these things. Uh, we look with eyes of faith to God and the gifts that he's given us and the body that he has and the purpose he's given us, and we step out in faith and obedience to him. Uh, along the same lines, others have expressed concern that with, with all the talk about multiplying disciples, which is important, we need to make sure as we multiply disciples that we don't forget about the disciples already here, right? And yes and amen to that. that that's very, very important. With, with our vision of uh, set on multiplying disciples, we may need to make sure that no one is left behind. We don't want anyone left behind. We don't want anyone falling through the cracks. We need to ensure that everyone is being cared for. If the church is a hospital, it's often an analogy that's used, right? The church is a hospital, and if we're struggling to help those in our care, then why are we looking to add to that? Why are we looking to multiply, right? We don't want to multiply mistakes and, and things like that. We need to make sure we've shared up, shored up our foundation, that we're filling the holes, that we're uh, meeting our own needs and not stretching ourselves too thin. That's not to say that being stretched is bad, because it's not bad. We don't like it, but it's not bad. It's important to remember that life begins at the edge or end of our comfort zone. We forget that quite often, I think. To grow, we need to embrace change. That awful word, change. It's not a four-letter word, but still, it's just as bad, right? Change. But to grow, we need to embrace change and learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I'm never comfortable saying comfortable because I have a hard time saying comfortable. But I think I said it pretty comfortably right there, and I, I praise the Lord for, for, for that. But we, we need to, to understand, again, that we need to embrace change and learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. To, to grow, uh, that growth stops when you lose the tension between where you are and where God wants you to be. What makes a rubber band useful? Stretching, right? That's what makes a rubber band useful. There's no practical use for rubber band unless it's been stretched. And the same is true for us. Now, the danger is you overstretch and the rubber band snaps and that hurts a lot. Especially if it's a really long rubber band that nails you just right, that hurts. 
or it gets you on the face. Ever have that happen where it catches you on the face? That hurts. <clears throat> Some of you just went into post-traumatic stress, right? Because because you heard about that. You remember, you can feel the pain right there on the side of your face. <clears throat> we don't want to overstretch because, again, that hurts. Our plan seeks to hold attention between this is where we are, this is where we're trying to get, where we're trying to get. That's tension. That's how we grow in a healthy way. That's also why we've made the theme for 2022 strengthen, because we see the importance of getting things in order uh, as we seek to move forward for the glory of the Lord. And when, when it comes to strengthening the church, I can't think of any better text than Ephesians 4 uh, that Kevin just read for us this morning. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, is God's description of God's dream church. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, is everything God intends for his church to be. It's God's grand vision for his church. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, is the Bible's most powerful, focused vision statement for the church. Rightly applied, these verses unleash the church to be strong and healthy and to be multiplying uh, fully developed and mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so I'm excited to, to preach from this text. In fact, I doubt anyone here remembers. If you do remember, you deserve a prize for something. Uh, but the, the first message I ever preached here, if you called me as a pastor of counseling discipleship, was from this text. Uh, this is a powerful text, and it shaped my ministry uh, almost from, from day one. So let me just, just ask you, kind of uh, push the pause button and ask you to think about this. What, when you think about the church, what image comes to your mind? When you hear the word church or you think about the church, what image comes to your mind? I think that's an important question because expectations shape your experience, right? If you have a certain expectation and you don't get that expectation, that will impact your experience in many, many ways. That's, that's true in every area of life. Uh, but expectations shape experience. According to, to one person uh, I read, there are four common distorted images of the church. For many, when they, when they hear the word church, they picture in their minds a gas station. And again, this isn't original to me. It's something I, something I read. But they think of the church as a gas station. For some people today, the church is a place where you kind of fill your spiritual gas tank up so then you're ready to kind of get out there and keep going for the week. Another way that some people think of the church is as a movie theater uh, the church is a place that offers entertainment. You kind of go there for an hour, and it's, it's a place of escape, hopefully comfortable seating, right? Uh, and then you kind of leave your problems at the door, and you come in, and uh, you're smiling, and you're feeling better when you walk out, right? Uh, for others, the church is more like a drugstore. Uh, the church is a place where you can fill this prescription that will deal with your pain. The, the, the church is almost therapeutic for you. And the last one is that the church is a big box retailer. People see the church as a place that offers the best products in a clean, safe environment for you and your family. And the church offers all of this experience, this service at a low, low price, all in one stop. 
So for many people, the church is this producer of programs for children and young people and so on. Well, I think, according to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that all four of those images fall very, very, very short of God's dream vision for his church. I believe in light of Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, that what should come to your mind when you think about church is a community, a community that is equipped uh, to help the church become what it should be. And that begs the question, what should the church be? Well, that's point number one this morning. The church should be mature. It should be grown up. The goal of church is to be a grown-up church. And I, I wonder if you notice, as, as Kevin read through these verses, the incredible emphasis on growth. You have verse 12, where it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, which talks about being mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, no longer children. Verse 15, it says, we are to grow up in every way. Verse 16 uh, says, the church builds itself up. This emphasis over and over and over and over on growth. What kind of growth? Spiritual growth. The emphasis here is on spiritual growth. Not that numerical growth isn't important. It is, and the Bible emphasizes that in multiple places. But this morning in this text in Ephesians 4, we see the emphasis on spiritual growth. And I would say that biblically, spiritual growth comes first in priority over numerical growth. Again, numerical growth is important. We see that in like Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6 and a few other passages. Uh, but we see that, that that numerical growth often comes out of what is first spiritual growth. And as people grow closer to Christ and become more like Christ over time, the community also grows numerically because healthy things multiply. And we'll talk more about that next week. But looking at verse 13... We see the goal or the aim of being a built-up church or a grown-up church. Verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when we think about maturity and being grown-up church, I see three things I want to mention quickly from verse 13. A mature church or grown-up church has spiritual unity. And if you're taking notes, if you have the insert in the bullets, and I think that's the first blank. I don't have it in front of me. And I did that on Thursday. I can't exactly remember what I did. Uh, so spiritual unity, I believe, is the first, the first blank. Because verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, that's, that's very, very interesting that it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Because back in verse 3 of Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So, in, in Ephesians 4, 3, it says, we are eager to maintain the unity. And in Ephesians 4, 13, it says, we must attain to the unity. So, that, that's, that's very intriguing. There's a unity we must maintain, and there's also a unity which we must attain. That's uh, striking to think about. We must first attain the unity of the faith. The faith, it says in verse 13. What's the faith? The faith is the systematic doctrine, the essential truths of the Christian faith. 
It also says, secondly, we must attain to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of the Son of God is not merely intellectual knowledge. It's personal devotion. It's heartfelt, intimate knowledge, experiential knowledge of Christ. So follow with me. The unity that we must attain is doctrinal conviction, right? It's doctrinal conviction that's rooted in personal devotion to Jesus. Those are both essential. I'll say that again. The unity we must attain is doctrinal conviction rooted in personal devotion to Jesus. And those two things should happen simultaneously as you study the scriptures and and understand on on, on a greater level the, the doctrinal truths of the Christian faith then that should correspondingly lead into a deeper personal devotion to Jesus. If you're studying Scripture a lot and learning much about its truth, but there's not a corresponding love for Jesus with it, that's danger. Or if somehow you think you have a a deeper and a personal devotion to Jesus, but it doesn't correspond to a personal, deeper understanding of Scripture, that's danger. Those two things go hand in hand. That's true on the personal level, and that's true on the corporate level. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to one another. And the closer we get to one another, the better we can help each other grow. Make sense? That's spiritual unity. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to one another. The closer we get to one another, the more you can help others grow. Spiritual maturity is the second one, the second blank. Spiritual maturity, from verse 13, it says mature manhood. Mature just means reaching a goal, fully grown, fully developed. Contrasted with verse 14, verse 14 says we may no longer be children. So the the church is to be growing, uh, reaching that goal, being fully grown, fully developed. And then thirdly, spiritual conformity from verse 13 we have spiritual unity, spiritual maturity, spiritual conformity. That's, that's what a grown-up church looks like. It has spiritual unity, spiritual maturity, spiritual conformity, because it says, and it's a mouthful, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right? That, that's a mouthful. <laughs> but the idea there is spiritual conformity. The idea there is increasing Christ-likeness. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, the scriptures teach that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we might be what? Holy. Holy. That's God's purpose in saving you and saving me, is that you might be holy. That you might increasingly look like him, conformed to his image. The way I wrote it in my notes is, It's the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God so the children of God may look and live like the Son of God. So if I can summarize all of that, what verse 13 is saying and what the goal of a a built-up church or a grown-up church is, is that we must be passionate about becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen? 
That's, that's what verse 13 is saying. The goal of a grown-up church is that we are passionate about becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That God wants to reproduce in you, and he wants to reproduce in me, the character of his son. He wants Christ-like love and kindness and compassion and holiness and humility and willingness to suffer wrongly and the ability to forgive and, and so much more to be increasingly over time as we study the scriptures, as we get to know one another, that we more and more reflect those things. God's aim and purpose for Orangeville Baptist Church is that each one of us here, individually and corporately, think more like Christ and live more like Christ and talk more like Christ and make choices that please Christ and, and so on. Can you imagine a church body like that? That's exciting to think about. That's the goal of the ministry action plan. That's, that's the goal of all that we do every Sunday morning and every other day of the week is that we are increasingly more like Christ. God wants us as a church to exude Christ so much that for those in the, in, in the community wondering what's Jesus like, they should be able to say, go to Orangeville Baptist Church and you'll soon see what Jesus is like. And mean that in a good way. <laughs> This is why Orangeville Baptist Church exists, not to meet every preference, because we, we have those, right? We exist to help you grow in Christ. This is how we care for you. This is how we love you. This is why we need to shore up the foundation and strengthen our church and make sure we're excelling in this, because if we're not doing this, nothing else matters. Amen? OBC, Orangeville Baptist Church, is in the life change process. We are in the business of transformation. And again, not just any kind of change, because you hear it all the time. I just, I just saw it last night in something I was watching about. Well, we just want to be a, grow up and be a better version of myself. No, emphatically no. That, that, that's not our goal. We don't want you to be a better version of you. We want you to be a better version of Christ in you. It's about Christ. It's about dying to self. Look, I died when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ at the age of 17. I died. Andrew died. And Christ lives in me. It's about him and being conformed to him. Now, Andrew's dead and somehow still likes to fight a lot and, and get his voice heard and spoken and but it's just, it's this daily death, isn't it? This daily death to self and daily life to Christ. And increasingly being made more like him. I love what Bill Hull has written. He's written a lot on discipleship. Uh, very good stuff. And he says that the wrong question for the church is, how many people are present? The right question for the church is, what are these people like? That's, that's, that's the right question. The goal that we have as a church in multiplying disciples is to take people who may not even believe the Bible or know anything about Jesus Christ and to take new believers and take somebody who's been a Christian for all their lives and to lead all of them into increasing Christ-likeness. One pastor writes about a man in a church that he once pastored. He called him Denny. That, that's not his real name. Uh, Denny had been in church most of his life, but Denny had never been very happy 
He was always kind of cranky about life in general. And this pastor writes this about Denny. Denny is not changing. That in and of itself is alarming. Denny is not changing. Denny is a cranky guy. He's been cranky his whole life. Not just about the church. He does not effectively know how to love his wife. His children can't relate to him. He has no joy. He's been going to church his whole life. He's 60 years old. Nobody's surprised by any of this. Nobody is surprised that he stays cranky year after year, and no one is particularly bothered by it either. It's as if we expect, well, that's just Denny. Denny's just being Denny. And nobody's expecting him to be more like Jesus year after year. I hear that, and my heart breaks. That's a shame. Let that not be said of any of us here, including me, yes? We are serious about expecting all of us here to be more like Jesus year after year after year. That's why we we do a number of the things that we do. That's why we have the, the discipleship pathway that everyone kind of stumbles over, right? Believe, belong, become, build. It's why we have discipleship hour and growth groups and, and counseling and church membership and, and everything else. We, we want to see people increasingly living more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the aim. Not to entertain you, not to drug you, uh, like, like some of those opening, uh, those opening illustrations. Man, I bet we get a lot more people if we drug people. <laughs> Which makes me think of a cheesy but good I shouldn't even say this, this is off the cuff. Uh, but have you seen, seen the one where it says, my parents drugged me? They drugged me to church, or they dragged me to church, they dragged me to this, they dragged me to this, and I'm so thankful my parents dragged me, or drugged me. <clears throat> That's a good drug. <clears throat> where we drug one another, encourage one another to be more like Christ. Listen to how Paul says it. Galatians 4.19. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. So discipleship's hard. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. But notice, they will continue until Christ is fully formed in you. Don't you love that? I will continue uh, to, to go through these labor pains for you until Christ is fully formed in you. That, that's, that's why Paul did all that he did. That's why we should do all that we do as a church, individually and corporately, is to help others grow in the relationship in Jesus Christ. Until you're no longer cranky, until you love him more, forgive more like him, and live more like him. Our purpose here is not merely Bible knowledge, Right? Our purpose here is, is not merely to, to fill your heads with, with information because, quite frankly, some of the most ungodly people I've met know this better than I know it. The Bible's important, yes, but the Bible applied is infinitely more important. Our purpose is not merely to run good programs. Churches love programs. Some churches seem to exist, uh, think they exist to run programs. Programs are useful, uh, but they are not the goal. When programs become the goal, the church simply becomes about keeping people busy and happy and keeping that program afloat. But it's not about programs. Our purpose is not attendance. Our purpose is not buildings. Our purpose is not cash. Our purpose... The way we measure success is you are more and more like Christ. That's our goal. That's our ambition. To multiply disciples who have a white, hot commitment to Jesus Christ. 
But that also, by the way, is why it's important to have a ministry action plan. Because a ministry action plan keeps us on track. We're all prone to wander. We sing that, right? We're prone to, to drift. We're prone to lose focus. We're prone to fall into maintenance mode instead of mission mode. A ministry action plan keeps us on track. It, it keeps that vision before us. And how are we going to get there? Well, point two, the process. If the goal is to be a grown-up church, point number two is the process. How do we become that grown-up church, right? How, how do we accomplish that? How do we become a church that, that's serving like that and loving like that and, and so that people are becoming more like Christ? And uh, clearly, it's not simply by reading the Bible. We've talked about that. Maturity is more than having the right beliefs, it's also having the right behavior that comes out of that belief. James 2, right? Faith without works is what? Dead. If your faith hasn't changed your life, your faith isn't worth much. And clearly, it's also not simply by attending church. As, as Denny showed us, you can go to church your whole life and not grow spiritually and actually be hardened in your sin. Spiritual growth does not automatically happen from reading the Bible or sitting in a church service. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Paul kind of chides, well, if it's Paul writing Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, uh, the Spirit for sure did, we don't know for sure, the human author, uh, but whoever wrote it through the Spirit chides the people, saying, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. And if I can just kind of paraphrase that a little bit, essentially that verse is saying to those who have been Christians a long time now that, hey, you should be more mature than this. You should be more like Christ than this now. You should be teaching others, but instead you're not able to, and I still need to give you milk. You should be able to chew on a good steak, but you can only handle milk. And that's to your shame. Spiritual growth is not automatic. Discipleship is not automatic. Christ-likeness does not automatically happen. How does it happen? We're not left to wonder that the scriptures teach us right here in Ephesians 4, uh, God's blueprint for becoming a grown-up church. It begins with this. Number one, the church grows up through spiritual gifts. The church grows up through spiritual gifts. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. These verses are teaching that Christ, the sovereign one, sovereignly and graciously gives to every believer a unique spiritual gift. And he uses the analogy in, in verse 8, he quotes from Psalms, the analogy of what, in old days when a king was victorious in battle, he would plunder the opposing army, then he would return home to his hometown with his great parade, and he'd be at the end of that parade, and he'd be throwing out the spoils of war. He'd be throwing out the gifts to the crowd as the crowd is cheering and rejoicing over the great victory, and they'd be throwing out these gifts. The, the king would come back doing that, throwing out these gifts, the spoils with the people, and, and Paul applies that to Jesus. 
Jesus, that Jesus came to earth and Jesus won the victory. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. He defeated death on the cross and through his resurrection. And now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And verse 10 talks about that. He's ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And as the victorious Christ King, as the victorious Messiah, he has given gifts to his people. Isn't that a neat picture to think in your mind of this, this great sovereign majestic king uh, and crowds of people cheering and he's seated on his throne being escorted through the, maybe downtown of this, the city and he's throwing out these gifts and no one's left out. Everyone receives a gift, right? Verse 7, to each one of us. And they're given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now that one hit me, hit me hard as I was, as I was studying on that. that. That staggered me in, in quite a few ways. But primarily, this thought that my word, I had been gifted by Jesus himself. I mean, wow. And then it, it hit me even more as I thought about that text and the extent that Jesus went to give me that gift. the hatred that he endured and the cruelty that he endured and the cross that he endured, the beating that he endured, that he might, in his grace, give me this gift. He went as low as he could go to death on a cross. It cost him dearly to purchase you. And then he ascended on high and exalted at God's right hand and he's given you this gift. Consider the extent that he went to to give you this gift. What grace. And that's where it simultaneously encourages and convicts because if you're not functioning in the body, if you're not using your gift that Christ has given you, it's almost like turning your back on Jesus, right? Let's be honest, we've, we've all been at weddings or birthdays or Christmas time, and we get gifts for which we're kind of like, oh, thanks, and then, right, be honest, a gift that's thoughtful, but it's, it's not very useful. <laughs> so it kind of finds its way in that drawer that collects everything, right, or in the basement, that tote that collects everything, or maybe out in the garage, wherever it is, you put, put some of those gifts and maybe re-gift them. No one does that here, right? Uh, Re-gifts re those gifts. Um, if I ever do that to you, I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> that really is a joke. You're not laughing with me, though, so that's trouble. Jesus never wastes his gifts. He doesn't give gifts like that. He doesn't give useless gifts. Each of God's or Jesus' gifts are exactly what you need to fulfill his mission. And this is exactly what we need to fulfill his mission. Your unique giftedness makes you irreplaceable in the body of Christ. So I want to say again that not to use your gift is an affront to God's wisdom. It's a rebuke of his love. And it also is a great loss 
to the church. It breaks my heart when I, when I read and hear from Ken Floyd that we're not scoring well there, that many of us here don't think we know our gift or know how to use it or think that we are using it. That's, that breaks your heart, yes? We don't determine our gift. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But we all have a gift from the Lord. If you're not using it, the work of Christ, the church of Christ, is weakened severely. So I just want you to, to think about a couple of questions that I, that I jotted down. Number one, how can I be most effective for Christ? How can I utilize my gift or gifts to the full extent of the building up of the church. And I say this with all the love in the world, if, if you're not wrestling with that this morning, what in the world are you doing here? If you can come week after week and you're not asking the question, how can I be most effective for Christ using my gifts, then why are you coming? Again, I, I say that with, with all the love that I can. These gifts were bought by the shed blood of Christ and freely and lovingly entrusted to you. And I, I just want to shake, shake myself and hopefully shake yourselves and say, don't you know that one day you'll be held accountable for how you use this gift? Have you read the parable of the talents lately? Where the one takes his gift and bury it, buries it? And the strong words of condemnation that Christ has there. Well, the second uh, way that we build the church, the process, is biblical leadership. Biblical leadership. Look at verse 11. Uh, Paul zeroes in on these gifts, which are people, uh, and the gifts of one, verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds and teachers. That's most likely a one role, one office. So Paul gets very specific. Uh, these gifts... Uh, these offices were given to the church to lead the church to grow in Christ. Apostles simply means a sent one. In the strictest sense, apostles were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, and they were personally commissioned by Christ himself to proclaim the gospel and establish churches. A prophet is God's mouthpiece. They're more than preachers. They spoke divine oracles. They predicted the future. They spoke the word of God to the people of God by supernatural revelations. Just pause there for a second. There's two other places in Ephesians uh, where, where apostles and prophets are mentioned. And by, I should say there, apostles and prophets are mentioned only two other places together in the whole Bible in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. The apostles and the prophets had a foundational ministry. In fact, look at Ephesians 2, verse 20. It's just, just a flip of the page. It says, Ephesians 2, verse 20, that the church, the household of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the apostles and prophets had a foundational ministry. How many times do you lay a foundation? Once, right? I'm glad we're, we're clicking with that. I don't know much about construction, but I know that much. You lay the foundation once. The apostles and prophets guided and guarded the infant church until the full canon of Scripture was complete. Now that we have the complete revelation of Scripture, there is no need for apostles and prophets today. 
the word of God is sufficient. So evangelists, verse 11, the next office, evangelists were heralds of the good news of the saving work of Jesus Christ. They did what you think they would do. They went out and and won the lost to Christ. They would go out and preach the gospel. They would plant churches. Then they would set the church up so the people could be discipled and grow up in Jesus. They'd stay there a while. They'd minister to the people. Then they'd move on. And when they moved on, would come in the shepherds and the teachers, or pastors and teachers, depending on your translation. Shepherd is pastor, pastor is shepherd. Uh, The primary function of the shepherd teacher is to feed, guard, care for the flock. The shepherd teacher took over when the evangelist, having won the loss of Christ, and set them up and been discipling. He moves on to go do that somewhere else. Pastors, teachers anchor in to help build the church up. And don't miss, with verse 11, how every one of those offices centers on the Word of God. The apostles and the prophets laid the doctrinal foundation for the church. Then the evangelists would go out with that doctrinal truth and understanding and win the lost to Christ and build on that foundation. Then the pastor teachers would continue to disciple and come alongside those individuals and build them up more in the faith using the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is a great parallel to Ephesians 4. The way that pastors equip and build up the church is through the preaching and teaching of God's word, personally, corporately, and a whole lot of of other ways. So, how does our church grow up? We've seen two things, right? Everyone has a spiritual gift. They're using it. Number two, we need Christian leaders. Number three, the church grows up by equipping. The church grows up by equipping. I'm not going to lie. I I love this verse, verse 12, and I think I could preach a whole lot of messages on it. Um, Maybe I'll do that someday. Uh, But verse 12 says, the reason why Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, is to do what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So let's, let's define a few terms, the word equip. Equip means to fix, to restore, uh, to bring to a point of being usable. It carries the idea of making someone adequate or sufficient for something. James and John, the word is used in Matthew 4.21 when James and John are mending their nets. Remember that in John in the Gospels, they're, they're sitting there on the seashore mending their nets. They're equipping their nets. They're making it useful because from all the wear and tear, they rip, right? In classical Greek, uh, this word was often used to describe restoring a dislocated limb or setting broken bones in place. Ouch, right? So you get the idea, Hope. The word equip is about healing. It's about being made healthy for God's use. It's about fully preparing someone for a task. Who? Who's being equipped? Verse 12. What's it say? Come on, church body. You're looking at your Bible right now at me. Verse 12 says what? We're equipping who? The saints. Now, who are the saints? We are, right? The, the saints are not the super spiritual people who have it all together. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Those people don't exist. There is no one who has it all together. I do not have it all together. My family, my marriage does not have it all together. And I know yours doesn't either. You can put on the best show you want to put on. I know that, that, that there's a lot of work that needs to happen there. That should get really loud, I mean. Amen. <laughs> there's not a single person here who has it all together. If you think you do, my word, you need to humble yourself 
and repent. A saint is anyone who belongs to Christ by faith. You are a saint if you believe in Jesus. So, we're working on this idea of God's given to the church leaders to come alongside the saints, to equip them, to prepare them, to make them useful for what? What's verse 12 say? For, what's it say? Ministry, right? Or your translation might say service. I think there's a lot of confusion in the church about ministry. I think we wrongly tend to either do one of two things. We restrict it to a select group of people who do the ministry. Those are the really important people who do the ministry. Or we restrict it to only what happens on Sunday morning. We do that a lot. I I just I want to smash that idea this morning. The ministry means to serve. So Mark chapter 10, verse 43, it says, It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must first be your servant. Same word, servant. Translated differently in that verse, but same word. Ministry means to serve. Serve means ministry. So I, I love this because many people hear ministry and they think, Oh, that means people who go to seminary and become a pastor or a missionary or something like that. My word, a thousand times no. That's ridiculous. As a matter of fact, lots of people go to school, don't qualify for ministry. <clears throat> who is a minister? Who is a servant? It is anyone who believes every Christian is in the ministry. If you are a Christian this morning, you are in the ministry. Isn't that exciting? You are in the ministry. Every Christian has been graciously gifted by the ascended Lord that they might do ministry. Orangeville Baptist Church does not have two pastors or two ministers, Josiah and myself. We have 150 ministers. Amen? Now... Just to f- keep fleshing this out a little bit more as we move forward. If, if ministry can be and should be done by any and all who name the name of Jesus, and if ministry is serving, then where does ministry happen and when does ministry happen? And the answer is exciting. Ministry happens anytime, anywhere. Don't you love that? Ministry is not something you do strictly in a church building. It's not like when you walk through those doors, it's like, ministry is on, right? All of life is ministry. Ministry should be a way of life that impacts every moment of your life. So being a stay-at-home mom is ministry. Being a husband is ministry. Being a wife is ministry. Being a brother, that's ministry. Being a sister, that's ministry. Going to school, that's ministry. Being a nurse, that's ministry. Being a school teacher, that's ministry. Shoveling snow, believe it or not, is ministry. <clears throat> Lots of ministry opportunities coming up in that way. Calling a friend on the phone who's discouraged is ministry. Going shopping is ministry. Getting rest is ministry. Uh, Rick Thomas, who was with us a few weeks ago, he wrote a pretty good article on this recently, and, and he shares an illustration for one day he met a guy named Hector, and he, he asked Hector what he did for a living, and Hector said, I buff floors for Jesus. And that's exactly right. 
Ministry is endless and endlessly exciting because ministry is awe-encompassing. You are free in Christ to serve him 10,000 different ways. There's no church ministry and everything else. All of life is ministry. Ministry is, is two people struggling to get along, working through that, putting aside rivalry and competition and serving and loving and encouraging one another. Ministry is a husband or a wife laboring to help their spouse spiritually thrive. Ministry is overlooking unfair criticism. Ministry is choosing to honor someone when given the opportunity to speak disrespectfully about them. Uh, ministry is inviting someone over for a meal, is sending an email or, or giving a phone call or message to someone who's discouraged. Ministry is doing the dishes. Ministry is listening to and obeying your mom and dad. Ministry is changing diapers. Ministry is holding a crying baby. Ministry is all of life, yes? That's real ministry. That's invaluable ministry. That gives deep significance to all of life. Ministry at church is not more important than ministry in your home or at your workplace. What I do as a pastor, please hear me, what I do as a pastor is not more important than what you do. Not even close. Because we are all ministers. And it's all grace. And the way I minister is going to look different because of the grace given to me and the personality given to me. It's going to look different than how you minister, but it's all equally important. Now, that may possibly overwhelm you to hear that. My word, I'm supposed to be a minister in all these different ways. And just remember, why did God give the church leaders to equip so if you feel like, I can't do that, I don't know how to minister as a wife or a husband, I don't know how to minister in this way, I don't know how to minister at my work, I don't know how to minister, fill in the blank. Praise God, that's why God has given the leaders to the church, to come alongside you and do what? Equip you. Now earlier I <clears throat> asked you to think about what can I do to be the most effective in this church, and I, I Maybe rudely said, if, if you're not thinking about that or asking that, then why are you here? But honestly, the same thing can be applied back to me and Josiah as spiritual leaders. If we are not wrestling with and wondering how we can be the most effective or most effectively equip others to do the work of the ministry, then what are we doing? Am I willing to equip? Are you willing to be equipped? God didn't give pastors to the church to do all of the ministry. Very little would ever get done, and what would get done, you wouldn't want it to be done. <laughs> if I can just share my, my heart a little bit with you this morning, and maybe you wish I would quit doing that, but I just want to share a little bit from my heart this morning more so, is I want everyone here to know uh, how much I love each one of you and how thankful I am to the Lord for each one of you. Incredibly thankful. When I think about Orangeville Baptist Church, I get really excited. I see so much potential at Orangeville Baptist Church. I see Orangeville Baptist Church sitting on a powder keg waiting to go off, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> Tons of ministry potential. And I know I dream big and I plan big, but I do that because we serve an awesome God who does awesome things. And I think he's been doing some pretty awesome things in our midst over the past three years, and I praise God for that. But I also praise God he's not finished yet. 
And I think we have yet to see what God can do with our church when we're unleashed, as Ephesians 4 speaks about, to be holy and solely committed to him. I, I think God is in heaven saying, Orangeville Baptist Church, you haven't seen anything yet. If you guys will use the gifts that you've used, and if you leaders will equip the way you're supposed to equip, this church will be unleashed for ministry like you've never seen. That's what the ministry action plan is all about. That's why I long with all of my heart for each one of us here to be white hot in your relationship with Jesus. I long for everyone here to be fully mature in Christ. I pray for it. I preach for it. I labor for it with all Christ's energy. I schedule my weeks around it. I train for this. That's why I was in seminary all that time because I want to learn and grow and develop because I can't learn and help, and help you guys grow and develop if I'm not growing and developing right. I also regularly meet with, with other men who are way ahead of me spiritually and, and every other way you can imagine so I can learn from them and grow through them so that as I learn and grow, I can help you learn and grow. In other words, I do all that I do for this church to be built up, and it's my joy, it's my privilege. And God wants every one of us here to have that same mindset, that same idea. I can only do one or two things well, and even that's probably stretching it. But God has filled our church with 150 persons uniquely gifted by the ascended sovereign God to do ministry 24-7 in their spheres of influence. And that's exciting. And it's my unimaginable joy and privilege to come alongside you and help you use that for his praise and glory so that you can be better equipped than I ever dreamed or imagined. It's not unlike being a mom or a dad. As, as, as a dad, what I desire for my kids is for them to grow up and be better than me. I want them to grow up and, and know the scriptures better than I do, to pray better than I do, more than I do, to be more like Christ than I am. That's my goal as a father, right? I hope that's your goal as a mom or dad or grandma and grandpa. And, and just to have that idea of we want them to surpass us. And that's, that's my goal, my dream, and I think that's Ephesians 4 as a pastor, is to train and equip and empower you so that you surpass me and help others do the same. In fact, to put it very bluntly, my goal is to be expendable. I hope that makes sense. My goal is to be expendable. My goal is to give ministry away. That's a huge part of the ministry action plan to help you identify your gift, identify all of life as ministry, and empower you to minister in that way. Isn't that cool? Isn't that exciting? That's Ephesians 4. And, and look, look at verse 12 again. What, what happens when, when this is happening, when we know our gifts and uh, we have the leaders and the leaders are equipping? What happens? Verse 12 says, the building up of the body of Christ. That's what a real church is supposed to be. Everyone gifted by Christ, gifted leaders equipping, the whole body ministering. There's no second-class citizen here. There's not the, the clergy and the laity. We are all working together for the building up of the church. Point three, and thank you for bearing with me. <clears> this <throat> probably should have been three sermons. <clears throat> Point three, the benchmarks. What's a grown-up church look like if that's the process, if that's the goal, what's, what's it ultimately look like? How do we know that we've reached that goal? And I'll, I'll hit these quickly. Number one, we see that every believer is doctrinally grounded. Verse 14, we know that we're, we're making progress and growing up as a church if every believer is increasingly doctrinally grounded. Verse 14 says, we do all this so that we, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. 
There are lots of false teachers in this world. They're all over the place. They're on YouTube, they're on TV, they're in Christian bookstores. False teachers are everywhere. You can't believe everyone who stands up and teaches the Bible, and I tell you this all the time, don't believe me because I'm up here teaching the Bible. Check it yourself. This is the truth, and, and I, I hope that what I'm saying is, is true also, but the main tool that Satan uses is falsehood. Satan tries to get people to believe things that aren't true, but spiritually mature people, a church that's clicking right and growing right, knows the Word of God, is able to discern truth from error. I'm sure a lot of us have seen on the news the, the, the sweeping destruction from the storms right south from here, from the tornadoes and, and, and all, all of that, the, the high winds, the uprooted trees, the destroyed homes, the destroyed businesses. That's a picture, for me, that's a powerful picture. That's what happens to a church. That's what happens to your personal life. Lives when false teaching gets a hold. It wreaks havoc in so many ways. Church needs to be built up and needs to know the truth. Be a church that loves sound doctrine. Number two, every believer speaking the truth in love. This, this, is, how, this is another benchmark for how we know that we're, we're hitting the marks, we're, we're, we're making improvement, we're growing up, is every believer speaking the truth in love. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So a church has grown up when every member is speaking the truth in love to one another. And it's, it's crucial that you see it's speaking not just the truth and it's not just speaking love. It's speaking the truth in love. And we all struggle with that. We all struggle with either keeping silent just to love someone or clobbering someone over the head and not really caring about them. Right? We're prone to those, those two extremes. I sometimes wonder how much the growth of the church is stunted because so much of what comes out of our mouth just simply isn't biblical. Ever wonder about that? Or it is biblical, but it's not said with much love or care or compassion. I'm just saying it like it is, right? Well, say it like it is with love and Christ-like care and compassion. I also sometimes wonder how much the growth of the church is stunted, stunted because we think speaking the truth in love, well, that's the, pastor's, that's the pastor's job. Let me just ask, ask this, say it this way. Does, does a new convert need discipling? Does, does a sister in Christ need some help or encouragement? Does your neighbor need to hear the gospel? Maybe you know someone who's hurting and struggling, uh, someone who's, who's suffering, and they need care and compassion. Don't come tell me. Go to them. Yes? Amen? If someone's hurting and needs compassion, don't call me. Go to them. And then maybe they say something, you don't know what to do with it, then call me and I'll come alongside you and help you know what to say because you're going to be more effective than I am. That's the kind of thinking we need here. Speaking the truth in love that way. And again, maybe you're saying, well, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to encourage that person. And that's why God gave the church leaders to equip. To equip. Not so that we play all the positions, but so we help you play the position God gave you. <clears throat> Notice also in verse 15, it says, in doing this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head Christ. I love that phrase, in every way. A total commitment to total growth. 
150 persons equipped with God's word in such a way we're speaking the truth in love. My word, that's a church on fire. That's a church that will have the best care and love and strengthening possible. Third one, every believer actively serving. Three times there's emphasis on the whole church in verse 16. It says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. Okay, so are you catching it? The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, there's that word again, when each part is working properly. We all know that when one part of your body is out of sync, it throws the whole body off. Your tooth hurts and you can't concentrate on anything, right? You break a bone in your foot, it cripples your whole body. Like a human body, our growth as a church depends on every part of the body doing its part. Again, I share with you that the first message I ever preached when you called me to be a pastor of counseling and discipleship was from this text. And when I, when I preach that, I'll say again what I said then. I'll say it this morning. I still believe it with all my heart that I love the church I think the church is the dearest place on earth. I think the church is where the humble find grace and those who are suffering are comforted and where problems are solved and lives are changed for the glory of God. It's where we're encouraged to persevere and grow. The, the church is the body of Christ. And it's, it's a place that, when it's working right, gives, gives evidence to the resurrecting power of Christ. The, the church is a place where people find new life through forgiveness of sins and faith. The church is a place where the gospel transforms lives. The, the church is the most amazing, significant organism on the planet and has amazing potential. I believe with all of my heart that the church is the hope of the world if it's working properly. That's what verse 16 says, right? from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow. That's a pretty big qualification. The church is working right when every member is actively working for the building up of the body of Christ. The church is working right when every member knows their gift and is equipped to, uh, to use that gift and understands that all of life is ministry. I just want to say again what I think I've been saying through the whole message, but it's just that you are needed. You are not an accident here this morning. We're glad that you are here. You're needed to do more than just take up space in a chair. We're glad you do that, but, and that is a ministry, <laughs> but that's, that's not all that ministry is. You're needed to use the abilities God has given you. You don't need to worry too much about what they are. I think you'll figure it out as, as, as you go forward. And if you are worried, again, we can equip you. We can train you. You're, you're needed to enter into a relationship with us to help us become the church God wants us to be. It takes every single part doing its job for the body to work. <clears throat> so I'm going to close with an illustration. I put it way over here because I didn't want to walk up with it. I hope those way out in the back, the real Baptists whom we love and are proud of, are, are able, able to see this. <clears throat> but I have here a Jenga tower, if we're familiar with Jenga. I'm going to make a mess and that would be good.
Believe it or not, that's what I wanted to happen. <laughs> you believe me, right? So, Jenga is that game where you build the tower, right? And so I'm building it here very, very slowly. If we can picture each one of these blocks as an individual member of the whole, right? And so we're, we're, we're talking this morning about every part doing its part and every member knowing their gift and serving and helping and being involved. And sometimes life happens. As, as I look at this one, apparently our dog got a hold of it and, and chewed it up. I hope that was the dog and not someone else in our family with animal-like qualities. Um, sometimes life chews you up and spits you out. What do you need? You need equipping. You need to be restored. You need mending. That's, that's why Orangeville Baptist Church exists. And so you were chewed up and, and, and you're, you're kind of fallen, fallen to the wayside. And it's our joy as a church to, to come alongside you and mend you and equip you so you become part of the body. It's also why we have multiplying disciples as, as a mission, as a focus, because there are many out there who are lost and without faith in Christ, and they're not a disciple of Christ, they're a disciple of this world, they're, they're a disciple of Satan, they're following him. We want to multiply disciples because they've fallen out all over the place, and we want to come to them and, and, and share the gospel with them and see them become a fully functioning follower of the Lord in our church. Uh, then there's others who are part of our church. You, you attend on, on Sunday mornings, and we are very, very thankful for that. Uh, but like I said, uh, it's more than just taking up space. Uh, and so we want to come alongside you and equip you and help you to use the gift that God has given you so you become part of the body of Christ. <clears throat> and I think we all know what happens when, when one piece of the, the puzzle uh, falls out see if I can do this. It's kind of hard to do this and, and preach at the same time. Um, but when we start missing pieces, what happens to the structure? What happens to, to the body? <clears throat> it's weakened, right? If just one block is out of place, the whole thing starts to become unstable. And so if you can think of the ministry action plan this way, like a Jenga block, Jenga tower, we're trying to, and I can't even begin to do it, I'll knock the thing off, but you get the idea. We're trying to fill those holes. And we're trying to, to recognize where we're weak, where we're missing it, and where we can come alongside you and equip you and train you and get you back into that part of the body so that we can be the most effective church we can be for the glory of God on this side of, the, on this side of heaven. That's, that's, that's the ministry action plan. And, and helping you to see that all of life is ministry. We want to unleash you to be living for Christ 24-7, whatever area of life God has given you to live. And we want to help set you free to make the most of Christ at your workplace, in your homes, uh, in the marketplace, wherever you are. That's the ministry action plan. That's, that's the heartbeat. That's, that's the soul of it. So I would just ask you this morning, are you part of the body? Maybe there's someone here this morning, you're, you're still lost in your sins and you need to repent of your sins and, and trust in Jesus for the very first time this morning. I pray that you would do that today. 
uh, that you would uh, recognize you're here this morning to hear the gospel and to trust upon him. So if you're here and you've, you've never signed on, so to speak, you've never been led into that relationship with Jesus Christ, today we invite you to, to begin. And I hope what you hear uh, from the message this morning, that it's, it's not about signing up to be part of church programs, it's, it's signing up to be part of a relationship with Jesus Christ and linking arms with us as we seek to help one another love Christ and help others to know Christ. Are you part of the church family? Have, have you joined Orangeville Baptist Church through membership? If not, again, I invite you to become part of this adventure of not building better facilities or running better programs or keeping the machinery working, but of helping us in whatever way possible to lead people into a Christ-like relationship. We need you to be vitally involved in the life of the church. Then that begs the question, are you actively involved or have you just been sitting back? And if you have just been sitting back, what's holding you back? Get in the game. Have a passionate commitment for the church, for one another, speaking the truth in love. And maybe you're already serving in two or three or four or five, six, seven, eight different ways. Man, we praise God for you. We want you to know that we appreciate you deeply, uh, that your ministry investment is deeply appreciated and is so needed for the kingdom of God. And again, we want to encourage you to and equip you to excel still more. But I hope... I hope that Jenga illustration sticks with you for, for a while and think about where you are. Are you part of the structure? Are you, are you one of the holes that you can help us fill? How are you using your gift to, to build the church? <clears throat> Amen? Uh, so I'm going to encourage or ask the worship team to come on up and, and close us in that final song. Uh, as, as they make their way up, uh, be sure to grab the initiatives that tie into... Don't be touching my, my tower, man. <laughs> I shouldn't rebuke him because he's just trying to be part of the body and build the body up. <clears throat> uh, but it should be the, the equipping. It says equipping on the top that lists all the initiatives of the 2022 to 2024 plan uh, that, that helps you uh, know how those initiatives fit into uh, what we're trying to do. So please look through that. Please talk about that with your growth groups. If you have continued questions about that, first check and see if it's in the frequently asked questions. If it's not, please don't hesitate to talk to me or Josiah or one of the deacons.